Hello and welcome to the 7th of March edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with kind permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis and the team for this week's edition comprises Duncan Wynne as recording engineer, Carol Hartle on copying admin and our readers today are Catherine Neal, Phil Lee and Jane Fires. First of all, I'd like to start with an invitation. You are cordially invited to attend our annual general meeting at Colin Chance House at 2.30pm on Saturday the 16th of March. And this will be followed by a party at 4.30pm with refreshments. Please let us know if you're coming, either by leaving a message on the answer phone or putting a note in your wallet. And you're welcome to attend either the AGM or the party or both. We shall just look forward to seeing you. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners this week and hope you enjoy our recording. As always, we'll include a list of useful telephone numbers, what's on in local theatres, the headline stories, then some general news stories, some sport, thought for the week, the sunrise and sunset times and the birthdays. The obituaries, say that again, the obituaries will still be included, but you'll now find they've moved to the end of the recording. Please keep sending feedback. We love to hear from you and the team here always wants to make the recording as pleasurable and relevant as possible for you. If you have any comments or problems, our telephone number is 01905 767 766. And please be prepared for an answer phone to take your call. Alternatively, just put a note in your wallet. Listeners are reminded to return memory sticks promptly as this facilitates a smooth operation and the use of our resources. You'll only receive two weeks of recordings and if neither of these are returned, you won't receive any further ones. If you're unwell or have a problem, please just ring us and leave a message. Finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA. So, as always, we'll start this week with the important telephone numbers which Phil has. Yes. Um, we'll start with Police Non-Emergency, which is 101. Crime Stoppers is 0800 555 Worcester Hub for Council Matters is 01905 765 765. Worcester Live, which has details of what's on at the Swan Theatre, Huntington Hall and Henry Sandon Hall, is 01905 611427. The Malvern Theatres are 01684 892277. The Samaritans, which is incidentally now a free phone number, is 116123. And finally, here at Colin Chance House, we're 01905 767 766. Thank you. I've uh, selected a few details of things that are coming on over the next seven days, seven to ten days, uh, here in Worcester. So one event is happening on the 12th of March at the Huntington Hall. Following their outstanding appearances on the 11th series of Britain's Got Talent, mind-reading duo DNA are bringing their brand new show, We Know What You're Thinking, 
to Huntington Hall on the 12th of March as part of their 2019 UK tour. Tickets for that, um, you need to phone the box office on 611-427. And on March the 14th, Rock and Roll Paradise perform at the Swan Theatre, playing tributes to rock and roll legends from across the years. Tickets there are £22 and the concert is from 7.30 to 10pm. Further details, get in touch with the Swan Theatre on the same number. And also at the Swan Theatre on March the 16th, Sweeney Entertainments present Girl Power, the Spice Girls Experience, featuring favourites such as Wannabe, Spice Up Your Life, To Become One, Viva Forever and I Could Go On. That's 8.30 till 11. Tickets are £24.50. And if you can't wait to see the real thing later this summer, I recommend that one. Um, Something a little bit different over in Malvern on Tuesday, March the 19th, running through till Saturday the 23rd. You can enjoy a stage adaptation of Hitchcock, try again, Hitchcock's classic thriller, The Lady Vanishes, starring Juliet Mills, daughter of John Mills. Box office number there is 01684892277. And finally, a different kind of music on 23rd of March, Worcester Festival Choral Society are putting on a performance of Mendelssohn's Oratorio Elijah at the Cathedral starting half past seven. Contact details there. You need to get in touch with the Worcester Festival Choral Society. But again, it's that other number, 611-427. So I hope that gives you some ideas of what might be going on in the next few days, or weeks even. Over to Catherine, who has the headlines, and we'll then start with the first story. Right, OK. On, uh, these are the headline stories for the week that's just gone. Friday, March the 1st. Jail for killer who robbed two men. Saturday the 2nd of March, help us save our little boy. Monday the 4th of March, city unites for Oscar. Tuesday the 5th of March, tributes to popular cricket stalwart Terry, aged 72. Wednesday the 6th of March, you'll stay inside for good. And Thursday the 7th of March, acid attack gang jailed. So I'm going to move in now to the headline story for last Friday, March the 1st. Jail for killer who robbed two men. A dangerous killer has been given an extended jail term after two knife-point robberies just months after he was released from prison. Danny Martin, who killed a man by setting fire to his Worcester flat, was jailed for two robberies at Hereford Crown Court yesterday. The 30-year-old from Worcester and co-defendant Tommy Jaunsey of St George's Lane, Worcester, are now behind bars. Both men denied the robberies but were convicted after trial by jury on September 17th last year. Through much of the court hearing, Martin had his head in his hands and members of his family could be seen crying in the public gallery. Martin was jailed for 10 years for manslaughter after he set fire to a bin which spread to the flat of convicted sex offender Andrew Heath. Mr Heath died in his flat in Chedworth Close, Warnden, on December 14th, 2011. The two robberies took place just two days apart and only four months after Martin was released on a five-year licence period on October 10th, 2017. 
The first robbery in an alleyway near Brookthorpe Close on February the 19th last year was committed against 19-year-old pizza delivery man Daniel McLaren, who had his wallet, keys, a pizza delivery pouch and a mobile phone stolen. The second was against a taxi driver, Mohammed Jahangir, in Chedworth Close on February the 21st last year. Martin stole cash, a mobile phone and damaging a CCTV camera, threatening the driver with a screwdriver, while Jauncey hid in a bush. Both men were wearing ski masks and brandished knives, luring their victims by making bogus calls. <clears throat> John Brotherton, prosecuting, said Martin was on licence at the time and Jauncey was subject to a suspended sentence for driving offences. Judith Kenny, for Martin, said, At the end of the day, if you throw away the key for this young man and give him no form of hope, you have no hope of rehabilitating him. Judge Nicholas Cartwright said, During the first burglary, Jauncey had held a knife to the pizza delivery rider's throat and told him, You don't want to get stabbed, do you? During the second robbery, Martin pulled wires out of the taxi's CCTV cameras so there were no photographs of him, while Jauncey helped dispose of the driver's mobile phone. The judge said the aggravating features were significant planning, the use of masks, the fact that both robberies took place at night and that they were working together as a team. He jailed Jauncey for six years. Jauncey refused to go down into the cells and remained in the dock holding Martin's hand. The court heard that Martin had 77 previous offences, including manslaughter, dishonesty offences, burglary and affray, and assault, assault, occasioning actual bodily harm while in custody. Jauncey had 29 offences on his record, including an attempted robbery when he was just 11 years old and the judge said this represented an escalation in his offending. Judge Cartwright said an extended sentence was appropriate, but not a life sentence. He told Martin his use of cannabis on a daily basis, including inside prison, had had a detrimental effect on his mental health, which included antisocial personality disorder. He said, I find you are dangerous within the legal definition I've come to the firm conclusion that a commensurate sentence would not protect the public for a sufficient length of time from the risk that you pose and will continue to pose in the future. Judge Cartwright jailed Martin for seven and a half years with an extended licence period of five years, making a 12 and a half year sentence. This means Martin will be considered for release by the parole board only after he's served five years of his sentence. As he was led down into the cells, Jauncey shouted, You've got the wrong guy. Danny didn't rob the taxi driver. Someone else shouted from the public gallery, I love you, Danny boy. Investigating officer, Detective Constable Grant Lawrence from West Mercia Police said, Both men showed complete disregard for the law in these offences, and I hope this result demonstrates we will not tolerate violent crime within our communities. We welcome today's result and hope it will enable the victims to feel some sense of closure after their ordeals. Family and friends of Martin said he has a really big heart. He's been failed by the justice system and mental health services. He's probably one of the nicest people you could meet.
Right, we move on to Saturday, and Saturday's headline is Help Us Save Our Little Boy. Parents are pleading for people to come forward this weekend to potentially save their five-year-old son's life. Olivia Saxelby and Jamie Lee have appealed for people to get swabbed at Pitmaston Primary School today and tomorrow, that's Saturday and Sunday, of course, to see if they have the right tissue for a stem cell transplant. Their son, Oscar, a pupil at the school, has just been given three months to live after being diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. Miss Saxelby, a University of Worcester student, said he's got no other option but to have this transplant. The 23-year-old said that the lives of her and her 26-year-old partner, Jamie Lee, have been turned upside down since their son's diagnosis. She added, I woke up every night for a good month thinking that I was still in a dream. I can't think straight when I'm away from him. When I'm here, I feel like it's normal. I haven't left his side. We don't live for the day, we live for the minute now. It's very different. The former Perrywood Primary School teaching assistant has been sleeping in a fold-down chair by her son's hospital bed for the last two months. She found that Oscar had T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukaemia on December 28th, having received the results of a blood test. The couple asked for the test after Oscar was hit with a foam dart and suffered a big bruise on his cheek on Christmas Day. After his diagnosis, Oscar was taken to Birmingham Children's Hospital, where he has remained since, apart from a brief trip home in January. She encouraged, local, encouraged locals to attend this week's donor registration event at Pitmaston Primary or to request a swabbing kit from DKMS or Anthony Nolan. Miss Saxelby said that these kits come with three swabs, which can then be sent back to the charities for testing. She added that if the charities find a match, the person who carried out the swabs will be invited to give blood for about an hour. Miss Saxelby of McIntyre Road, Worcester, said she and Jamie are looking forward to taking Oscar for a swim in the sea after his transplant. Katie Wilcock, head teacher of Pitmaston Primary, said we are desperate for people to get swabbed. We are looking for that magic golden ticket person who will be the match for him. I'd like to say to people, please come to the school this weekend. Bring your family, neighbours, anyone you know. It's quick, painless and simple. Miss Wilcox said she was in a state of absolute shock and disbelief when she found out about Oscar's diagnosis. He was four at the time, she said. I had that feeling of helplessness. However, she said she has been overwhelmed by the outpouring of support for Oscar. More than £7,900 has been donated to an online Just Giving page, which was set up by the school. The head teacher said that around 80 volunteers will be helping people carry out swabs at the school today and tomorrow. The charity, DKMS, will then analyse the swabs to see if there are any tissue bashes. Mrs Wilcox added that the charity has already had a huge number of online requests for swabbing kits to be sent out in response to Oscar's story. Local supermarkets have also donated cakes and refreshments which will be sold at the school this weekend in aid of DKMS. And now um, a follow-on to that on Monday, March the 4th, City Unites for Oscar. 4,800 take donor tests to help save boy. Almost 5,000 people descended on Pitmaston Primary School this weekend to take a swab test in a quest to find a donor to save the life of five-year-old Worcester boy with leukaemia. They queued to help pupil Oscar Saxelby Lee with his <coughs> parents, Olivia and Jamie. The school smashed the national record 
for the most popular donor registration event as part of a drive to save the pupil's life. 4,855 people signed up to the stem cell register at Worcestershire's Pitmaston Primary School this weekend, with hundreds queuing up outside waiting to get swabbed. An army of volunteers helped locals to complete tests and fill out registration forms in a bid to find a tissue match for Oscar Saxelby Lee. The five-year-old, who has a rare type of cancer, has been given just three months to live and is in desperate need of a stem cell transplant. His teacher, Sarah Keating, said, I've been teaching for 20 years and I've never had a child go through something like this. You hear about children getting cancer and you think that's dreadful and then you move on. And in this case, we haven't moved on. We will fight this. The 44-year-old said she was amazed by how many people (coughs) turned up to register on Saturday morning. Even more attended on Sunday, with queues stretching into Pitmaston Park. Oscar's teaching assistant, Laura Centre, aged 22, said his diagnosis came to a shock to their class. She added, I couldn't believe it. I saw him before Christmas, and he was his usual happy-go-lucky self. It's a nightmare for this to happen. You can't really do anything about it. It's heartbreaking. And if a child falls over and cuts their knee, you can put a plaster on it. With something like this, you just can't fix it. That's why we've gone into action mode, to try and find a donor. Miss Centre said she and Miss Keating visited Oscar in hospital for his birthday in February. She added all the parents bought gifts for him. Because of all the chemo, he was very swollen, but you could tell he was very much still him inside. When we came out, we knew we needed to do everything we could to support him. DKMS, the charity that tests the swabs, said its record for the highest number of people to take part in a registration event was 2,200 people, meaning Pitmuston set the new high. Volunteers were sat at tables and chairs in two of the school's halls over the weekend, handing out swabs and completing donor registration forms. One Kidderminster couple went to the event because of their daughter. Lucy Dexter, who was at the school with her husband, Adam, said, We saw it on Facebook and we've made a day out of it. We're doing some shopping later. With us having our three-year-old daughter, Chloe, it hit home that that could happen to any family. It takes five minutes to carry out the swabs. It's so simple, and it's for such a good cause. And if we can't help Oscar, there might be other families we can help. The school have organised it so well and so quickly. It's so busy, but people are constantly throwing through. She added that the number of people who turned out to register was amazing. Another couple, Andrea and John Kelly, handed out refreshments at the school. Oscar's parents, Olivia Saxelby and Jamie Lee of McIntyre Road, Worcester, found out Oscar had T-cell acute lymphoblastomic leukaemia on December the 28th and they pleaded for locals to attend the event or request a swabbing kit. To get a kit, visit www.dkms.org.uk uk slash en slash register dash now i'm afraid if you're over 55 it's a no-go because i tried thanks for the tip yeah right headline for tuesday march the 5th tributes to popular cricket stalwart terry 72 
A cricketing stalwart who coached thousands of youngsters has died at the age of 72. A pillar of the game in the county, Terry Burt spent 60 years playing, coaching and organising cricket for generations of youngsters. Due to his hard work for his much-loved county team, Worcestershire, sorry, Worcestershire Nomads, its Colt section grew to 11 teams and won many county and national trophies. Chris Marsh, chairman of Worcestershire Nomads, said, Terry Burt has spent a lifetime playing, coaching and organising recreational cricket and is the very model of someone who has given everything for the game. After the announcement of his death on February the 28th, the club he had dedicated his life to supporting made a statement that said they had lost a true friend, a man that influenced the lives of so many both within cricket and across the wider community, the club said. During an extremely sad time, we can draw strength over the affection shown towards this great man. He would be truly humbled. Rest in peace, Terry, one of the best. Former Worcestershire paceman Stuart Lampett said, You are yet another great loss to cricket in Worcestershire. What a star you were. I know you will shine brightly every night and keep a watchful eye over us all as we continue to deliver your legacy. A legacy, by the way, that was, still is, and will always be experienced and enjoyed by thousands of young people each year. To say you were a legend is an understatement. You were a forefather, a sage, an inspiration to all, especially to the young players that you have helped and nurtured, both at Christopher Whitehead School and, of course, at your beloved Worcester Nomads Cricket Club. All in all, there are thousands upon thousands of individuals who owe you a huge debt of gratitude for your selfless and tireless contribution to cricket within the local and wider communities. Rest in peace, Terry. Thank you for your inspiring life. Mr Burt, who lived in Martley, once coached the county juniors, ran a county competition, acted as secretary and treasurer for South Worcester Youth Group and arranged fixtures for Worcestershire women and girls all at the same time. His contribution didn't go unrecognised, winning the Hales Owen Trophy for junior coaching by the Midlands Club Cricket Conference and the Jim Marsh National Coach of the Year Award. And two years ago, Mr Burt was presented with the prestigious Bill Jones Memorial Volunteer of the Year Award at the 2017 NatWest Outstanding Service to Cricket Awards. As a result of that award, Mr Burt went on to be national runner-up in the Volunteer of the Year Award, visiting Lords for the ceremony. Mr Burt was born in Stroud and was originally involved in Gloucestershire cricket before moving to Worcestershire for his work as a bank manager for TSB. He would go on to work at Christopher Whitehead School, helping budding cricketers there before his retirement. Close friend Margaret Butterworth, who lived with him before his death, told the Worcester News he was always enthusiastic about helping youngsters. The thing that stands out more than anything about his life was his kindness. He will be fondly remembered. Tributes flooded in for Mr Burt after Nomads, Nomads announced the news on Twitter. Jonathan Inglis wrote, It was a pleasure to have been coached and to have played alongside Terry. What he did for Nomads was incredible. It was an honour to have known such a kind and warm-hearted gentleman. Paul Gardner said, 
an absolute gentleman and one of the nicest people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. And John Davis added, 100% gentleman, 100% cricket man. It was an absolute pleasure to have known him. Mr Burt's funeral is being held at Worcester Crematorium on March the 29th from 1pm and following the service, people are invited to remember his life at a gathering at Worcestershire County Cricket's New Road Ground. Mr Burt is survived by his two sons, Laurie and Robbie. <clears throat> Here's the headline story for Wednesday, March the 6th. You'll stay inside for good. Judge's warning to inmate after savage prison assault. A dangerous Worcester prisoner who attempted to murder his girlfriend launched a brutal, unprovoked attack on a fellow inmate. Ex-soldier Scott Smith, who appeared at Worcester Crown Court on Monday, was warned by a judge he would spend the rest of his life in jail if he did not change his ways. The 29-year-old, previously of Carlisle Road, Ronxwood, admitted assault, occasioning actual bodily harm, after he punched, kicked and stamped on a fellow inmate in Her Majesty's Prison, Hewell, on March the 5th, 2018. The attack was so violent, Smith left his footprint on the man's face, leading a judge to extend his prison sentence for the second time. Smith has now attacked a prison officer and inmate while serving his sentence for attempted murder. Smith was jailed for 15 years on August 30th, 2011 for a knife attack on his then-partner, Kirsty Holmes, who was told at the time it was pure luck that she had survived. He served with the 2nd Battalion, the Mersion Regiment, for two and a half years, where he was taught to use a bayonet and told the jury he had not intended to kill Miss Holmes with the knife. Smith was 21 when he was convicted of attempted murder after stabbing her seven times in the back of the neck at 3.30am on January the 16th, 2011, narrowly missing vital arteries and the spinal column. We reported at the time how Miss Holmes woke up in a pool of blood after the attack by Smith, who had become jealous. On Monday, Giles Nelson, prosecuting, said Smith's prison sentence was further extended by two years on November the 17th, 2017. This followed a wounding conviction after he attacked a custody officer in Her Majesty's Prison, Oakwood, causing a bleed on the brain and injuries to the officer's eye, nose and gums. Smith admitted assault, occasioning actual bodily harm against the inmate, at Kidderminster Magistrates Court on January the 8th, 2019, following the attack on William Goldby in a Her Majesty's prison, Hewell. Mr Nelson said the prisoner was vulnerable, suffering from angina and epilepsy, and told the judge, it's a brutal attack. Footage of the assault was played to the judge and showed Mr Goldby with a bloody face. Mr Nelson said, the Crown say this is an unprovoked attack. It's a savage attack with his fists. It was sustained. The victim was vulnerable. A weapon was used in the sense of the use of the foot. The prosecution say this was an assault that involved not only fists but use of feet, stamping. Mr Nelson also argued that the offence was aggravated by Smith's previous convictions. The court heard that Smith's release date had been set for October the 19th next year and he would have been eligible for parole on February the 19th next year. 
The victim suffered pain to his face and ribs, double vision in his right eye, and a footprint mark on the left-hand side of his face. Recorder Timothy Raggett, QC, Todd Smith, you are someone who is facing the very real prospect, if you go on offending in the way you have, even when you're in prison, of literally spending the rest of your life in custody. You have a great many problems, and you're dangerous in certain circumstances. This was a nasty assault. He jailed Smith for two years, which will run consecutively to the extended sentence he is already serving. And Thursday's paper gives us acid attack gang jailed. A father who plotted a sickening and monstrous acid attack on his three-year-old son and the conspirators who helped carry it out have been jailed for a total of nearly 80 years. The father of the boy and five of his co-defendants were yesterday unanimously convicted of conspiracy to apply a corrosive fluid with, attempt, with intent following a six-week trial at Worcester Crown Court. The plot was driven by the boy's father, who was locked in a bitter custody battle with his estranged wife. He had already arranged to have photographs doctored to make it look like his children had been injured in her care. His wife, who gave evidence via video link, described how her husband had previously talked of having her and their children killed and even taking them abroad for that purpose, asking an imam whether this was permitted. The 40-year-old Afghan, who cannot be identified as it would identify the three-year-old victim, was jailed for 16 years and middleman Saeed Husseini, 43, was jailed for 14 years. Hosini enlisted the support of the Slovaks for the plot and was present at a failed mission or dry run for the acid attack at a Worcester school eight days before the attack. The second Afghan middleman, Jabbar Paktia, 42, of Newhampton Road, Wolverhampton, was jailed for 12 years. The three Slovaks who entered home bargains were each jailed for 12 years. They were Adam Cech, 27, of Farnham Road, Birmingham, who squirted the acid, Norbert Pulko, 22, of Sunderland Road, uh, sorry, Sutherland Road, London, and Jan Doody, 26, of Cranbrook Road, Birmingham, who recorded the attack on his mobile phone as proof to the father that the mission had been successful. Martina Badiova was cleared. After the attack took place, the father sent a message to one of the co-defendants, Paktia, saying, Nailed it. Moments before the attack, the boy had been looking at footballs and skipping, something Judge Robert Duke's QC said would bring out fiercely protective instincts in the hearts of normal men and women. Instead, he was squirted with acid, screaming, I hurt, as he suffered burns to his left forearm and forehead. The boy's father held his head in his right hand when the guilty verdict was delivered and showed little emotion when led away to begin his sentence. Adam Cech, the man who squirted the acid, could be seen laughing and smirking during the trial. However, when the guilty verdict was delivered, he lowered his head, still bearing the distinctive mohawk haircut he had had when carrying out the acid attack. At one stage, he looked close to tears. Judge Robert Duke said even battle-hardened Crown Court judges were sickened when they heard the news that someone had attacked a three-year-old boy with sulfuric acid. As the news became clearer, it seemed only to darken. This was not a momentary loss of temper or irrational anger fueled revenge. It was a planned attack by three adult males on a small boy who was out shopping with his family in a local supermarket on a well-known trading estate in the middle of the day. 
it became increasingly apparent how well planned this was, with links going back to the man who plainly at the heart of the attack was the boy's own father. The judge told the father he had felt humiliated by his wife leaving him in 2012. When she returned, she was driven out by him again in 2016 and forced to go into hiding. The judge said that the father's motive was partly that his wife would be blamed for the injury his son sustained, but also that he had been motivated by hatred of her because of the humiliation that he felt. Will Martin, junior counsel to Jonathan Rees QC, who prosecuted the case, read out a victim impact statement in which the mother of the child said her estranged husband watched disturbing videos of honour killings on YouTube, including a daughter being beheaded by her own father. When, a, when his wife said to him, how can a father kill his daughter? The father said, that is our culture, that is honour killing. The officer in the case, DS Natalie Martin, read out a statement from the mother who said, On the awful day that my youngest child was attacked with acid, I had no idea I was being followed. He came running over to me, screaming and grabbing his arm. I could see that there was an injury, but I didn't know how it had been caused. I became hysterical. I noticed that red marks then started to develop like a snake up his arm, then reddening to his forehead. I called 999 and shop staff helped me. I'm so grateful to the actions of these people, as I was later informed that their actions had prevented longer-term injury to my son. Honestly, it never crossed my mind that it would be acid when the police told me I was absolutely devastated. I couldn't sleep for weeks, and I have repeat nightmares about what happened that day. It shocks me to think that people could be involved with doing this to a defenceless child, and I'm glad that they have been brought to justice and will be punished for what they have done. I hope nobody ever has to go through what we have experienced. She added, I'm happy to say that my son is okay. He is a happy child, but he will be scarred for life and will need continual support as a result of this incident. Following today's verdicts, myself and my family now want to move forward with our lives. West Mercia Police and Crime Commissioner John Campion said, To do it to a young, innocent child is unthinkable. I am sure we are all pleased that these offenders have now been brought to justice for this horrific attack. And that concludes the headline stories. So we'll now move on to some uh, other news stories. And Jane, if you'd like to kick us off. Yes, and this is a story about the water company in, in the, the hot period. Do you remember the heat? Um, the water company has been fined and told to pay compensation for its poor work that led to Diglis residents' water supply becoming contaminated. People living in apartments and houses at Woodhouse Close in Diglis reported smelling sulphur in their water, which led to Seven Trent warning people not to drink from taps last July. Bottles of water had to be handed out to residents and stacked outside people's doors during hot temperatures. Pure Water Environmental Services Limited has now pleaded guilty to charges of the contamination of the drinking water supplied to 83 residential apartments. The company has been ordered to pay £5,776.94p and £2,000 costs and £3,776.94 in compensation for breaches of the water supply, water fittings in inverted commas, regulations 1999. Lee Rawlings, Seven Trent's senior water fittings technician, said 
In July 2018, we received reports from customers of a water quality issue affecting a development of flats. Customers were reporting a chemical taste and odour affecting their water. Upon investigation, we traced the problem to a water tank on the private water supply system for the development. Pure Water Environmental Services Limited had been carrying out works to reseal a tank a few days before, and the solvents used on the job had contaminated the water supply to the properties. Due to the water quality risk, we had to drink we had to issue sorry do not drink notices to properties which remained in force for over a week while the issue was rectified and we sampled the supply to confirm that the water was fit for consumers to drink we treat all water quality matters very seriously and we hope this case goes to show just how important it is for companies and individuals who install repair and maintain plumbing systems that they have a legal responsibility to comply with water fitting regulations. This case is a prime example of poor workmanship, which resulted in a significant contamination of a plumbing system. It's absolutely vital that we take this sort of legal action to protect water supplies for our customers, as well as recovering costs that otherwise our consumers would have to bear. The case against Pure Water Environmental Services Limited was heard at Birmingham Magistrates Court yesterday, which was Friday, March the second, March the first. And here's a headline: Girls' School joins RGS. Worcester's Royal Grammar School is merging with Droitwich-based Independent School for Girls. Dodderhill will remain at its seven-acre estate in Droitwich Spa and continue as a self-financing girls-only school, but it will share educational initiatives, resources and facilities with the other three schools in the RGS group. The schools already collaborate in areas such as music, art, dance, textiles and digital learning. Each year, many Dodderhill girls go on to the sixth form at RGS. Dodderhill head... Kate Morstan said, We are delighted to join the RGS Worcester family of schools. This is a natural development in our relationship. This partnership will enable us to continue to build on our strengths as a small school by sharing the expertise and facilities of a larger school. For example, our girls can use the full-size all-weather sports pitches, hold events at the Performing Arts Centre, take part in joint musical productions and tours, and benefit from an award-winning careers programme. Mrs Morstan will have day-to-day responsibility for the running of Dodderhill and will become a member of the RGS Worcester Strategy Group. RGS head John Pitt said, This is a unique opportunity for Dodderhill and RGS to work together and I am excited about what the future holds for our community of more than 1,400 pupils across four schools. Both schools are known as centres of excellence, and girls from Dodderhill already join our co-educational sixth form of around 200 students and achieve exceptional results. There will be new opportunities to enhance our already strong links. For example, we envisage some joint staff insets and training, sharing of best practice, extension of our bus network and combined concerts at Worcester Cathedral. The other two schools in the group are The Grange and Springfield.
Well, this is another story about education, in fact, and to give you a little bit of context, on one side of the page there is a very large um, advert about the Worcestershire Education Awards 2019, which are sponsored by, in particular, Worcester News and the University of Worcester. And the advert says uh, it's inviting nominations for people's favourite teacher, school, teaching assistant, caretaker or receptionist. And on the other side of the page, there is an article about a head teacher who has been nominated for an award. An inspirational head teacher has been nominated for a Worcestershire Education Award. Nick Ross from New College Worcester in Whittington Road has been nominated for Head Teacher of the Year Award. Miss Ross, aged 53, said, It feels so lovely to be nominated. I'm incredibly flattered. You come in every day and do your job at the very best. It's amazing to be acknowledged. I'm over the moon. New College Worcester is a residential school for young people aged 11 to 19 who are blind or partially sighted. Every pupil at the school has a tailored programme to meet their individual needs. The pupils are encouraged to do their own cooking and washing, which promotes independent living. Miss Ross said, There's a huge amount of activities on offer which play a key role in the development of every student's confidence. There are no barriers, as we want to promote the pupils' confidence and provide them with plenty of opportunities. They live like a university student, and this helps them develop a high level of independent skills and prepares them for life after college. Miss Ross has been head teacher at the school for two years after spending 26 years in mainstream schools. Miss Ross added, It was a big change moving over from a mainstream school. However, it was a fantastic move. The children are outstanding, and they make me proud on a daily basis. In her nomination, Rhiannon Jones wrote, Nick has been the most inspirational head I've ever worked for. She fights so hard, not only for her staff, but for every student. In the most recent Ofsted inspection in March 2018, New College Worcester received an outstanding rating. Thank you. This is one of those nearly stories, thank goodness, from Thursday's newspaper, Drivers Near Miss in One Way Road. A sales manager has spoken out about the moment a taxi drove directly at him on a one-way road in the city. Brookfleet Cars said it has already issued its driver with a warning after he was caught driving into oncoming traffic in New Road, Worcester yesterday. Sales manager Mark Erickson filmed the moment on his dash cam and has reported the incident to West Mercia Police. Mr Erickson, who was driving home at the time of the near miss, said, I came around the corner from Hilton Road and I could just see this car in the distance. I thought, those are headlights. They were coming towards me and I started flashing at them. I was swearing. It took the driver a couple of hundred yards to realise what he was doing. There was a passenger in the car too. Mr Erickson's video shows the taxi coming to a stop, metres away from his vehicle, and then turning around and driving back towards St John's. The 47-year-old of Bromwich Road, Worcester, questioned how the driver managed to get up the one-way road. I've never seen anything like it. My wife could have been in the car, or my kids. The driver is endangering lives. You can't get up that road without doing something really stupid. It's mind-boggling that this person is allowed to drive around with people in his car. I think they should be stripped of their licence. The father of three, originally from Scotland, added he was not worried about the taxi hitting his Ford Ranger pickup truck due to the size of the vehicle. A spokesman for Brookfleet, based in Rowley Regis near Starbridge, said Sandwell Metropolitan Borough Council had been informed of the incident. 
The driver had never driven around Worcester before and was sorry for his actions, according to the spokesman. He added that he just left the Premier Inn at the time of the near miss and realised he was going the wrong way, prompting him to turn around. Right, and now we've got something on the Harvester pub in Purdiswell is set to close. And a mystery now surrounds what's going to happen to the restaurant. Mitchells and Butlers, the owners of the restaurant chain in Droitwich Road, released a statement confirming the closure and saying they had decided to sell up. The firm says staff has been consulted with the aim to move employees to other pubs and the company has not said when it will shut its doors. The identity of the new owners is a mystery, but agents JLL, acting on their behalf, has submitted an application for a certificate of existing lawful use to Worcester City Council. The application appears to be a tidying up exercise to confirm that the Purdiswell House site can continue to operate as a restaurant as the document demonstrates the site's history. The move by Harvester comes as a surprise as only three years ago the firm invested in a major refurbishment, reopening it so that it had a capacity for more than 150 diners and created new jobs. At the time, Harvester's general manager, Matt Turner, said we want to create a destination restaurant for feel-good dining and we're thrilled to be providing Worcester with the great-tasting food Harvester is renowned for. But in the latest statement, Harvester said, We continuously review our estate to ensure we're always obtaining the best returns from each of our assets and driving innovation across our brands to enable us to continue to deliver shareholder value. Following this approach, we have decided to sell the Purdiswell Harvester. JLL was unavailable for comment. Vicar takes to the skies to raise cash. It's a wing and a prayer for Vicar Joe Musson as she does the most terrifying thing she's ever attempted in her life to raise cash for her church. In less than 80 days, the Reverend Musson, Vicar of St George's Church Worcester and St John Baptist Clains, will be strapped to the top wing of a 1940s Boeing Stearman biplane, travelling at 120 miles per hour and reaching a height of roughly two and a half times that of Worcester Cathedral Tower as she flies over RFC Rencombe Airfield in Sirencester. The date, Wednesday, May the 15th, is imprinted on her mind because the 10-minute flight will put all her nerves to the test, as she's frightened of flying and terrified of heights. The 59-year-old is collecting sponsorship money for the Clains 2020 Vision Project in order to raise funds to make Clains Church more visitor-friendly, adding toilets, making the church more accessible and installing facilities to allow better hospitality. And 10% of her sponsorship is also being given to the cancer charity Bloodwise. Reverend Musson, who's married to Adrian and has three daughters and five grandchildren, said, I was challenged to do something daring by a friend who's been through a lot herself after a diagnosis of cancer. And this was her suggestion. I really want to rise to her challenge and, in the process, get the claims project off the ground. We desperately need better facilities for the hundreds of people who come to Claims Church every month. Reverend Musson has set up a fundraising page ahead of the flight on May the 15th. 
To sponsor her visit, justgiving.com slash fundraising slash rev dash joe. Alternatively, post your donations to the parish office, Cornmeadow Lane, Claines, WR3, 7NY, marking them Rev Joe Wing Walk. Well, good luck to her. Right. Um, Ducati has released an artist's <coughs> impression of what its new £1 million dealership in Worcester will look like. The showroom will replace the closed Detroit's restaurant at the bottom of Castle Street, with the opening expected to take place at the end of April. Residents near the site have welcomed the project and are pleased it is becoming a motorbike dealership and not a bar, as previously feared. Roberto Fragiotta, who works at Osler's at Number One Restaurant, opposite the dealership, said... I think it will bring trade here. People will travel from afar to visit it. It will be good to see that building with something in it. It's been a shame to see it empty. I'm glad there's not going to be late night drinking there. As long as they don't switch the bikes on, revving in the morning, it will be all right. Mr Fragiotta, who also lives above Osler's at number one, said he did not think the dealership would take much business away from other bike shops in Worcester. He added, it's good to see it will not be somewhere that will be open for five minutes and then closed down. Residents in Seven Terrace previously opposed a proposal by the Pinchers family to reopen Detroit's as a family restaurant with a bar. They were particularly concerned about plans to create a drinking terrace outside the restaurant. A mother who lives in Seven Terrace told the Worcester News, a Ducati dealership will suit me well. It won't keep the baby awake. I'm glad it's being developed as it's been empty for a long time and is a bit of an eyesore. The wind was blowing through the roof at one point. In the winter, people in the road had to call Seven Trent because of a leak. The building was leaking water into the road. Chris Booth, who's opening up the new dealership as part of his Ducati Manchester group, said a planning application will be submitted soon. He added... I'm sure the residents and neighbours will be delighted that we're transforming this prominent building into a beautiful showroom and that our opening hours will only be 9am to 5.30pm from Monday to Saturday. We've met with a few neighbours already and have told them our plans and they seemed very happy. Up to 10 jobs are set to be created at the new dealership and the building is owned by the Grievesom family. Lots of eateries and ex-eateries in the news this week. No apologies for this one because it's been around for rather a long time. Quinn Sad Overclosure, the headline reads, The former owner of a city centre restaurant which recently shut down has shared his sadness over the closure. Ashley Quinn, who opened Quinn's in Crowngate Shopping Centre, Worcester, said he was sad that the restaurant had only lasted six months under its new owner. The Crown Estate, which owns Crowngate, confirmed that Quinn's closed last week and that staff had lost their jobs. Mr Quinn, who set up the restaurant as Café Vienna in 1996, said, I'm very sad that it's closed so quickly. It's a fantastic site and location. I cooked the food. I was a chef there. The food was fresh every day and we did lovely fresh specials. Mr Quinn, aged 53, who lives in St John's, Worcester, said the business was not in debt when he sold the company in September. He added, they were supposed to be changing the name of the place when they took over. They had plans to make it more of a wine bar. The former owner said the bills had been paid when he sold the company to 27-year-old Gemma Pedley, who was listed as the sole director of Quinn Catering Limited on Company's House. 
Mr. Mr. Quinn saw the restaurant was shut on Monday, February 25th, and later found out that it was permanent. He added, I want to thank the fantastic customers and staff. There were some lovely people that worked there, and a lot of people had their first jobs there. A former worker at the restaurant, Anna Trigg, wrote on the Worcester News Facebook page, Quinn's has been closed down for reasons only the staff are aware of. Being a staff member at Quinn's was one of the best experiences of my life. I learnt so much there and worked with the kindest bosses and staff. Everyone was there for each other. I always felt excited about going into work because the atmosphere was always positive, which brought all of our customers to the door. I will never enjoy a job the way I enjoyed working at Quinn's. I'm going to miss it a lot. A spokesman of the Crown Estate previously said, Sadly, we understand Quinn's has closed. Our thoughts are with the people who have lost their jobs. We wish them well for the future. Café Vienna became Quinn's in 2012 as part of a rebrand. Miss Pedley was unavailable for comment. Mm. Well, this one is Bosch Boss Slams Gas Boiler Plan. This might affect me. I've got a gas boiler. The chief executive of Worcester Bosch has issued a warning over a committee's simplistic proposal to ban gas boilers to tackle climate change. The Committee on Climate Change urged the government to ban gas boilers in new homes by 2025 in a report. Around a fifth of the country's greenhouse gases come from heating and other energy use in homes. Carl Anson, Worcester Bosch's CEO, said, although we agree with the committee that climate change needs to be tackled, it's too simplistic to suggest not connecting all new build schemes to the gas grid. If the whole of the country came off gas, we would need the power of around 30 nuclear power stations in this country, and currently we have eight. Also, if we do switch to hydrogen gas then these homes without a gas connection could not be connected in the future and would miss the other benefits that hydrogen gas could deliver, such as carbon-free cooking as well as heating and hot water. Mike Foster, head of Energy and Utilities Alliance, a trade association representing UK boiler manufacturers, said that UK needed to do its bit to meet climate change obligations, although the changes had to be affordable. He added, I think the Committee on Climate Change has made the wrong call. A unit of gas is just under 4p, while a unit of electricity is about 14 to 15p. It's a real impact on people's bills. Mr Foster added that even if the UK's transition to electric boilers, much of the electricity will still come from gas power stations. He said that the alternative is to develop low-carbon gas boilers using fuel such as biomethane and hydrogen. The former Worcester MP praised Bosch, Bosch for being at the forefront of hydrogen boiler technology. Robin Walker, the city's current MP, said workers at the business should not fear for their jobs, adding that the company has a bright future. I've got a couple of uh, articles here which actually probably could have featured in the What's On section. Uh, The first one is um, an invitation for festival choral singers or people to join the festival choral singers at Worcester Cathedral. Amateur singers from across the county are invited to join a one-day workshop at Worcester Cathedral on Saturday, April the 6th. 
The event is hosted by Worcester Festival Choral Society and will give keen singers of all kinds a thrilling opportunity to learn and perform Beethoven's Mass in C, a classic choral masterwork. Around 100 amateur singers are expected to take part in the workshop, which will be led by the Cathedral Director of Music, Samuel Hudson, with piano accompaniment from Nicholas Freestone, the Cathedral's Assistant Director of Music. Society Chairman Ben Cooper said, whether you're a tenor, bass, alto or soprano, we have a brilliant day in store for anyone who loves singing. Tickets for the day must be booked in advance. Vocal score loan and free tea and coffee are included in the price of the tickets, £20 for adults and £10 for students. And one other event which is happening is The Hive is opening its doors and hosting another archaeological tour of the grounds this month. This latest tour is taking place on Saturday, March the 16th, between 11.30am and 1pm, and will be run once again by the Worcestershire Archive and Archaeology Service. The tour will give residents the opportunity to discover how the site surrounding the hive has changed over time from a Roman street to civil war defences and Victorian cattle market. Tickets to the event cost £5 and are available at thehiveworcester.org. So, a couple of things to look out for. Right. Um, this story is another one about education. The chairman of an academy trust has stressed a financial deficit will not have an impact on the children's education and has hit out at inflammatory comments over its age change plan. The Department for Education has also failed to answer our query on whether an investigation has been launched into Avonreach Academy Trust's financial situation. The precariousness of the Trust's finances recently came to light after the release of its latest financial statement. Earlier this month we reported how a reduction in sixth form funding and unfunded costs imposed by the government had drained the reserves of one of the Trust's schools, Pershaw High School. The statement said that the reserves of Avonreach Academy Trust, which also includes Cherry Orchard First in Pershaw, Inkborough and Norton Juxta Kempsey First Schools, had now been exhausted, with the Trust's financial position being a risk. Parents expressed concerns at the statement that covers the period between August 2017 and 2018, and some also speculated that AAT's age change plan, with first schools taking on year five and six pupils and Pershaw High squeezing middle schools in the other direction by taking on year seven pupils, had been introduced as a way to raise cash. In the latest AAT newsletter, Andrew Longdon, chairman of the Trust, said trustees had been well aware of the deficit situation for some time, and it was not uncommon. He said the main cause, besides the well-publicised low levels of government funding in education generally, is a temporary fall in pupil numbers currently in the secondary phase year groups within the high school. This is not an uncommon situation. Members of the Trust Finance Team have been working with the Department for Education for many months on a plan to cover this period, with an in-year surplus position expected during the academic year 2019-2020. This plan, which quite clearly affects the high school only, endeavours to ensure that this does not have an impact on the education of the children within all of the Avonreach schools. A recovery in pupil numbers is very firmly forecast, 
and the financial future for the high school and the trust as a whole beyond this current short-term situation is very positive. On the age change rumours, Mr Longdon added, unfortunately, due to ill-informed and or inflammatory comments from various groups, we need to stress again the age range change was not financially motivated. Following speculation, the school's commissioner had launched an investigation into AAT's financial situation and we asked the Department of Education to confirm or deny this. The Department for Education failed to answer but said, we trust academies to manage their own budgets and the vast majority are operating with a cumulative surplus with only a small percentage having a deficit. Where an academy trust requires additional support, the Education and Skills Funding Agency will work with the trust to build its capacity. And now Monday's newspaper, World War One Changed Fashion. A new exhibition at the County Museum explores how the First World War changed our sense of fashion. The uh, show, which is known as Fashioning Peace, Life and Liberty After the Great War, and it opened at Worcestershire County Museum on Saturday. Visitors are able to tour the museum's costume store and join in with craft activities for children, such as making flapper headdresses and bow ties. The exhibition is part of the lottery-funded Worcestershire World War 100 programme, a four-year schedule of events commemorating the county's role in the conflict. Rachel Robinson, manager of the Worcestershire County Museum, said, Throughout history, clothing has often reflected a person's social and economic status, and post-war fashion reflected a new and liberated mood. This exhibition is about surviving and thriving after the Great War and is reflected in the functionality and fun of the costumes on display today. We are delighted to be able to showcase a number of costumes from our outstanding connection and look forward to welcoming visitors to enjoy this new exhibition. The museum has more than 2,000 items reflecting changing fashions in its Ticken Hill collection. The exhibition highlights how women's clothing became less restrictive after the war, in part due to the progress of feminism. One of the major social victories of the era was women winning the right to vote in 1918. Well, some women won the right to, right to, right to vote in 1918, following their efforts during World War I. The museum said that women's clothing underwent a revolution in the 1920s when the typical dress had hems at knee level. The exhibition's curator will host an introductory event on March 21st from 1pm to 2pm. A talk about the collection, including a tour of the costume store, is due to take place on May 16th, again between 1 and 2pm. If you want to attend the talk, you can ring 01299 250416. The Worcestershire County Museum is based in Hartlebury Castle near Worcester, which was once the home of the Bishops of Worcester. The castle is open Tuesday to Friday between 10 and 5 and from 11 till 5 on Saturdays, Sundays and bank holidays. For more on the display, see museumsworcestershire, all one word, .org.uk. And now it's time for toads. Toads on the move. Um, our recent weather has meant that many of you are reporting frogs arriving in ponds and some of you already have frog spawn. As the days get longer and temperatures become milder, ponds give off a pheromone that wafts across the landscape and wakes up hibernating toads. Frogs and newts. Under the cover of darkness on damp evenings, they head to their breeding ponds to find a mate. 
over 80% of toads return to the ponds where they were born. And the loss of ponds across our landscape has resulted in a decline in toad numbers. To reach the remaining ponds, many make dangerous journeys across roads. In the right conditions, entire colonies of toads will move from hibernation sites to their breeding ponds over the course of a few days. They move on damp, mild nights from February to April, and in some populations, this can mean more than a thousand toads moving over a very short period of time. In Worcestershire, most movement tends to be in the first two weeks of March, but this is dependent on the weather. One of the greatest hazards to this is the traffic on our roads, and many hibernating sites are now cut off from the breeding ponds by a network of roads. Toad spawn is laid in strings, whereas frog spawn is found in clumps. If you're lucky enough to have some in your pond, don't worry about there being too much. You won't be overrun, because on average, only five froglets or toadlets will make it to adulthood. But moving spawn from one place to another can spread diseases. So please don't be tempted to do this. I'm not quite sure how to follow that. <laughs> I don't like toads or frogs. I'm going to talk about Amazing Grace, 10th marathon, marathon for Amazing Grace. A 71-year-old woman is completing her 10th marathon to raise funds for a children's cancer after she read a story in the Worcester News. Despite Marion Winwood already having nine marathons under her belt, she's taken on another challenge to run the London Marathon to raise money for the Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust. Mrs Winwood from Worcester said, I read in a recent Worcester News article the story about Grace Kelly and it inspired me to raise money and awareness for this worthy cause. Jennifer Kelly, founder of the Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust, said, We're honoured to have Marion running for us in the London Marathon. We're very grateful for her support and we wish her luck for the race. Mrs Winwood started running in her late 50s as a way of improving her fitness. She completed her first marathon when she was 56. She joined the running group Happy Feet Fitness two years ago, where her passion for running has grown. Rhiannon Ealing, co-founder of Happy Feet Fitness, has praised Mrs Winwood for her determination and described her as an asset to the running group. Mrs Winwood aims to complete the marathon in five and a half hours. Her training involves running four times a week and she's beginning Pilates as well to improve her flexibility. The London Marathon is set to take place on April the 28th this year. For donations to the Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust, visit Mrs Winwood's fundraising page on uk.virginmoneygiving.com slash fundraiser dash display slash show capitals ROF fund raiser page. I think that's quite difficult to manage, but um, I'm sure if you go on the Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust, should you be interested, they'll be able to point you in the right direction. Catherine, over to you. And here's another story about uh, raising funds. Uh, a seven-year-old has had her hair cut off to give to a charity who makes wigs for young people who've lost their hair through cancer. Instead of having her ears pierced for her seventh birthday, Charlotte Harris chose to have eight inches cut off her hair to raise awareness and money for the Little Princess Trust. 
Mum of Charlotte, Jessica Harris, said, I'm so proud of Charlotte. No words can describe how proud I feel. Charlotte has started to become more aware of others in the world. She noticed the little girl with no hair at school that suffered with cancer and it broke her heart. Charlotte came home from school one day and said, Mummy, my friend doesn't have any hair. Can I give her mine? I loved her hair before. Charlotte has always had long mermaid blonde hair and she's only ever known having long hair. Charlotte set a goal on February the 1st to raise £100 for charity, but has since smashed a target by raising £604. Mrs Harris said, What makes it so special is that Charlotte doesn't understand how big this is and the concept of raising £600. She's such a loving girl and very selfless. She's done all that a seven-year-old can do, and this has been her way of helping others. It had become Charlotte's dream to cut all her long hair off on her seventh birthday. I don't want Charlotte to live in a world where we don't look out for each other, not just the people close by her, but anybody who needs help. Charlotte had her hair cut on Thursday, February the 18th. Right, and another charitable story here, really, but one with a slightly unusual twist to it, I suppose. Man is racked off, reads the headline. A kind-hearted man who puts warm clothing out for people in need says he fears he may be forced to move his stand. Wayne Whitaker from Malvern first decided to take a rack of coats to outside the Wilco in Malvern in December. Since then, he's been going out to church walk every Saturday with his rack of coats to hand them out to rough sleepers and anyone struggling for money. Mr Whitaker, 45, said he then received an email from an agent representing the freeholder of church walk saying placing stalls and stands in the street is not allowed without permission. However, his rack doesn't block the footpath as it's only around two feet wide. It's a bit galling to have to ask permission to do something which could potentially help a lot of people, said Mr Whittaker. The homeless have as much right to a warm coat as anyone. I cannot believe they would do this when all I'm trying to do is something nice. We have nothing but good responses to it and it seems very sad. I do still very much intend to bring out the rack to hand out the coats. Where I do it is the question. John Brown, who acts as agent for the freeholder, said Mr. Mr. Whitaker is welcome to put his coat rack up, but he must ask permission to do so first. Mr. Brown said, we have not said he cannot put the rack up. All we have said is that he would like to do so. If he would like to do so, he must go through the proper channels and get permission in the same way all charitable activities must do. We have wished him every success in this activity, and all all we ask is that he comes to us first for permission. Mr Whittaker said, I have two kids, so I know how hard it can be to find money for everything, and that's why I'm doing this. With more people using food banks and not able to pay for gas and electricity, at least we can try and help to keep them warm. I don't want people to suffer the social stigma that can be attached to services like this. I've supported a friend who needed the help of a local food bank, and the amount of people and red tape they had to go through had a serious effect on how they felt as a person, and for me, that's simply not acceptable. And now we'll start on the sport. And this is the football roundup. And it's March the 5th. Um, Worcester Raiders have another West Midlands Leave Division 1 title test at Old Wolfroonians tonight. That's March the 5th. The Clains Lane side beat mot- bottom of the table visitors, Willenhall Town, 3 0 on Saturday a week after drawing 1-1 at home to promotion rivals Darleston Town. 
Raiders, whose goals against Willenhall all arrived in the second half, are in prime position, five points behind leaders Darleston with four games in hand. Tonight's opponents, Old Wolves, are way off the pace in sixth spot and the Brinsford Stadium outfit lost 2-0 at Raiders last September. But they defeated Worcester's fifth-place county rivals Droitwich Spa 3-2 at home on Saturday. Tyler Atwood opened the scoring for Raiders against Willenhall after coming on as a substitute. Roland Kroll tapped in from close range and Richard Smith hammered home the third goal. Meanwhile, Spa go to Tiverdale-based Wren's Nest tonight at 7.45 to face the side who crashed 7-0 at Raiders last month. Two quick goals for Wolfs put Spa behind at the interval, but Chris Conway hit back when he followed up on his saved penalty. Conway scored again, but the host had banged a third goal by then. Morventown won 4-0 at Bilston Town Community in the Premier Division. Two second-half goals apiece from former Worcester City forward David Reynolds and Matt Turner extended their unbeaten run to 12 games. Reynolds opened the scoring shortly after the restart before Turner doubled the advantage five minutes later. Just before the hour mark, Reynolds did well to increase the lead and Turner completed the scoring on 64 minutes. Second from bottom, Pershaw Town dropped a 2-0 lead to draw 2-2 at fellow strugglers Dudley Sports, with Nick Seaborn bagging a brace. Budley Town host Cradley Town tonight at 7.45 after a 2-1 home loss to Dudley Town on Saturday. Inkbarrow went top in Midland League Division 3, thanks to a 2-1 trifle, triumph at Central Ajax. Or is that Ajax? Mm. Uh, Nathan Davis grabbed a double for the Villagers, who are two points ahead of second-place AFC Solihull, having played four games more. A world chance for talented teenager. A city schoolboy has qualified for the International Weightlifting Federation Youth World Championships in the USA. Myron Madden of Royal Grammar School Worcester will fly to Las Vegas for his first time representing Great Britain with the competition running from March the 8th until the 15th. The 16-year-old, ranked number one in the United Kingdom for his category, lifted 107 kg in the snatch lift and then 135 kg in the clean and jerk to beat his personal best. Madden of Grafton Flyford also plays rugby for Worcester Warriors under-17s. He said, I could hardly believe it when three green lights came on from the judges. I'd done it. It's been a long road of training, coupled with my commitment to the Worcester Warriors Academy, but the hard work has paid off and I'm off to Las Vegas to represent my country. Madden's weightlifting coach, Harry Cronin, said, Myron is such a talented sportsman with so much potential for growth. It's hard to believe he's only 16 and so exciting to see what he'll achieve in Las Vegas. Madden's journey into weightlifting began after receiving a rugby scholarship at RGS. He went on to become the British Youth Champion, setting national records for the under-17 snatch, clean and jerk, and total and under-20 snatch. On his return from the USA, Madden will resume playing rugby for Worcester Warriors under-17s this season. And another story about a young person in sport here. 
Rosie records female first for City Boxing Club. It took 73 years, but Rosie Lewis has become the first female boxer to claim victory, representing Worcester City Amateur Boxing Club. At a junior show in Rygate, Surrey, the 15-year-old beat Amy Judge of Redhill ABC in a hard-fought contest. Amy Judge had lost her first contest and was keen to put the record straight, but Rosie Lewis had other ideas. She claimed the first two rounds with sharp, straight punches before tiring in the last, which allowed her opponent back in. Both girls showed determination and skill, with a delighted Rosie claiming victory on a split decision. Also representing Worcester at Rygate were Alfie Butler and Tyler Bryce in skills bouts. Both lads shared the ring with boys from Red Hill and displayed good skills and ring craft throughout. The format of skills bouts gives the young boxers experience in showcasing their talents without the added pressure of a winner or loser being declared. Junior Jaden Bryce rounded off a fine trip for the City Club by stopping John Harwood in the third round of his match. He put his opponent under constant pressure and with no signs of slowing down, the referee called a halt to proceedings early in the third. Lewis, Rosie Lewis is one of many females who train at the City Gym on Thursdays. Anyone interested in joining the ranks can call coach Ed Morris on 07850 264106. Right, cricket now. Profit reduced after bigger cricket spend. Worcestershire have revealed a £38,221 profit for the 2018 financial year ending December 31st. This occurred despite a conscious effort to substantially increase spend on cricket, significant further investment in facilities, higher taxation, and increased depreciation charges. After a post-tax profit of £449,426 in 2017, Chairman Fanos Hira says the financial clouds and burdens of the past appear to be lifting and he is optimistic for the county's future. Last year's profit included a 533,000 England and Wales cricket board contribution, which was increased from half a million in 2017. Hira declared, we are very comfortable with where we are at, and more importantly, we are comfortable with where we are heading. Our primary purpose is to reduce debt and continue to invest more in cricket and members' facilities. It is fair to say, on an underlying basis, that profitability was predictably lower, and the reason was because we deliberately spent substantially more on cricket and improving our facilities at Blackfinch New Road. Yet despite these substantial increases in higher cricket costs, and despite the fact we spent so much more on our ground, debt levels continue to decline. Total debt has reduced since the end of 2015 by 683,000 to 4.878 million. We are hopeful that within four years our debt will be more than halved, and I am keen under my chairmanship that we have sufficient flexibility and reserves to make sure we are never beholden to anyone. The board views the operational performance at the club as mixed, with much still to focus on. Sarah Glyas, the finance manager at Worcestershire, said, Cricketing costs have been significantly increased during 2018, and that is across a range of different areas. The bulk of it is in player and staff wages. The squad size has increased, and it's also about recognising the elite level of skill in the coaching and cricket support staff. 
In addition, costs have increased in terms of hotels, travel, outground rentals and players' clothing through increasing quality of the garments. We also spent in excess of a third of a million on infrastructure, including new scoreboard, blotter and a ladies' pavilion, in part supported by the generous and welcome donations from the Supporters' Association. And just in case you're thinking stationery has become remarkably expensive recently, that blotter is, I think, a machine that you use to soak up water from the, out, from the outfield. Thank you for that, Phil. Right. Um, this is about a rugby record equaled, and Worcester Warriors fullback Chris Pennell will equal the Cubs' record of appearances in the Gallagher Premiership in tomorrow's Crunch Clash at Newcastle Falcons. And the former England international would make his 149th Premiership appearance and draw level with Locke Craig Gillis, who reached the same number between 2004 and 2013. Pennell, aged 31, made his Premiership debut against Bath 12 years ago and has played all his rugby for Warriors, having joined the academy from Old Swinford Hospital School. He is on course to surpass Gilly's record on and become the first Warriors player to the 150 milestone against Exeter Chiefs at Six Ways on March the 9th. That's a couple of days' time, which will also be his testimonial day. At Newcastle, Pennell, pictured, will take his place in Warriors' side that is unchanged for the first time this season. Wing, Josh Adams, has been rested after sustaining several knocks, including groin and head injuries, before he scored a winning try for Wales in their Six Nations victory over England in Cardiff last Saturday, rubbing it in. Um, Tom Howe, who has scored nine tries in as many first-time games this season, including a last gasp winner against Leicester Tigers last Sunday, will again deputise for Adams. Hooker Joe Tafites is playing for the USA against Uruguay in Seattle, where he needs one try to beat Keith Wood's international record of 15 tries by a front row. Ex-London Scottish hooker Isaac Miller will again provide cover for Jack Singleton on a bench that is also unchanged. Centre Ryan Mills captains Warriors as G.J. Van Veltz has undergone surgery on a fractured arm. And another um, loss to the cricket community here. Tributes to beloved cricket chairman have been paid <coughs> after um, the death of John Ridlington, who was part of Rushwick Cricket Club. Mm. Tributes have been paid after a much-loved cricket club chairman died. Dozens of people have posted their tributes to John Ridlington, who was chairman of Rushwick Cricket Club and a hugely popular figure within the organisation. Mr Ridlington, who lived in St John's, died on February the 21st, age 75. A statement on the Cricket Club's Facebook page from President David Bryant read, It is with great sadness that I must tell you that our chairman for more than 40 years, John Ridlington, passed away peacefully this morning. Despite retiring from playing cricket for Rushwick Cricket Club years ago, John's ongoing dedication to the club was immeasurable. Whether serving as chairman or as the genial gentleman who mowed the outfield or served drinks behind the bar, John was committed to ensuring that the club prospered and that its members were happy. Integrity is a word that fitted John like a glove. John was an extremely likeable man and someone you could always turn to for a favour, some good advice or just a friendly chat.
We've missed his warmth up at the club since his illness took hold more than a year ago and we will continue to miss him over the years to come. Rest in peace, John Ridd, a great friend to and pillar of Rushrick CC. As a club, we send our condolences and prayers to Margaret, Mark and Helen at this very sad time. Mr Ridlinton's funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, March the 18th at 2.30pm and all are welcome to attend to attend to celebrate his life. Here's a story about Worcester City Football Club and its organisation. Um, club director and trust chairman Dave Wood has called on the anonymous dissenters over Worcester City's community ownership plan to come forward so he can make things right. City shareholders last week sanctioned a move that will see Worcester City Supporters Trust take all unsold shares in the club, handing the independent fans group a controlling interest subject to the resolution being ratified within one month. In the build-up to the, de- to the decision taken at City's AGM, two club officials spoke out against the proposals but wished to remain non-anonymous amid claims of being talked down to for holding opposing views to the Trust. Dave Wood <coughs> opted against addressing the concerns prior to the AGM but has since refuted the strange allegations before paving the way to talk through any concerns. I'm very much a democratic person. I think I've proved that over my tenure as chair of the trust and director of the club, he said. I'm always open to people talking to me. Of all the characters involved, and there are some strong ones, I believe I'm the person that will sit and listen. As chairman of the supporters' trust, it's my membership that they're making accusations about, accusations that I find strange. I don't believe this is the image of the majority of the football club or supporters' trust, I think these are the views of a very small minority of people. And again, I would say, come and talk to me, because I was not aware of this situation. I don't understand the reasons behind some of the comments, and I'm not sure that the people who made them fully understand the reality of community ownership. But they have personal views which I accept. Um, and finally, um, he said, ending this this piece, everyone has an opinion. I have no problem with that at all, but let's talk about them. It would be good to clarify what community ownership is and what the funding streams are. I could talk forever about the various things, but I'm not going to do it in public. I want people to talk to me. Right, just a little touch of football history now. Maybe happier times at Worcester City. Villa FA Cup heroes, two years at City, it says. A powerful and quick winger with a cannonball shot. That is just one description from the early career of Northern Ireland international and future Worcester City playmaker Peter McParland. He was one of three former internationals to be snapped up for City's 1964-65 team that saw an explosive attack grace St George's Lane, adding elegant skills and classy scoring to the fearsome front line. McParland's pedigree could not be questioned, having scored both goals in Aston Villa's 2-1 victory over Man United in the 1957 Cup Final, before notching what proved to be the winner in the first Football League Cup Final four years later. By then, he had already established himself with Northern Ireland, making his debut before turning 20 and racking up 34 international appearances and scoring 10 goals, including appearances in the 1958 World Cup in Sweden. That background inspired legendary Wolves boss Stan Cullis to shell out £30,000 for his services. 
Despite a bright start at Molyneux, his first team opportunities were limited and a move to Plymouth Argyle followed. With time beginning to take its toll, he then joined City on a technically free transfer. McParland made an ideal start with a goal in his competitive debut in the 3-0 win over Romford in August 1964 and won a place in the hearts of the City faithful with a stellar hat-trick in a 4-0 FA Cup victory over Bromsgrove. He went on to accumulate 23 goals in 51 appearances during that maiden campaign before lining up with Atlanta Chiefs in America during the closed season. On his return, he weighed in with a further 14 goals during 1965-6 and featured in a whopping 28 cup games for City. McParland was the second highest appearance maker behind ex-Cardiff man Trevor Peck, who played 66 times. Despite these exhausting exploits, Worcester had only the Midland floodlit league title to show for their efforts, losing in a two-legged Worcestershire Senior Cup final to Kidderminster. McParland later took the opportunity to move into full-time football in the US, following Terry Orford, Reg Cutler, Bernard Edmonds, Granville Palin and Dave Tennant through the door. He later moved to Bournemouth, where he ran a property business and coached in Cyprus, Kuwait, Libya and Hong Kong. Right, well that's the end of the sports news and headlines and we've just got a few more last things to do. Um, I would read out birthdays, but there aren't any for this week. So it's straight to Jane for Thought for the Week. And this is taken from Luke 18, verses 31 to 34. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them and they did not know what he was talking about. Thank you, Jane. So uh, sunrise times. Today the sunrise was 6.40am and the sun set at 5.58pm. And before we say our goodbyes, I would just like to remind you that the obituaries will follow at the end of the music. So it just remains for me to say a big thank you tonight to our production team, Duncan and Carol, and to our readers, Catherine, Phil and Jane. And if they would like to all say goodbye... It's goodbye from me, Catherine. And it's goodbye from me, Phil. And goodbye from me, Jane. And goodbye from me too, Pippa. And the obituaries this week. Jones, Gladys Mary, passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital, aged 84. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, March the 15th at 11.30am. Family flowers only, please. Donations for Acorns Children's Hospice and the Worcester Snowsland Project can be left in the collection box available after the service or cheques made payable to the charity can be sent to the Cooperative Funeral Care 17 Lowesmore, Worcester, WR1, 2RS. Margaret Laurie, known as Greta of Gallivault Court, passed away peacefully on February the 6th, age 93. 
funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, March the 8th at 1pm, followed by a service of thanksgiving at St Stephen's Church at 2pm. Family flyers only, please, but donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or church or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3, 70U. Brian Smith passed away peacefully in hospital on February the 13th, aged 82. Funeral service will take place at Kemsey Church on Friday, March the 8th at 2pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice may be left at the church or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services. Telephone 01905 748 811. Royston Tyler, known as Roy, passed away peacefully at the age of 71 on February the 17th. The funeral was held at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, March the 7th. Diane Tyrrell passed away peacefully on February the 12th, aged 80. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, March the 11th at 11.30am. No flowers, with donations to St Richard's Hospice sent care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, 30 Bromyard Road, Worcester, WR2 5BT, telephone 01905 748811. Doreen Wright, formerly Robury, passed away peacefully on February the 14th, aged 90. The funeral will take place at Redditch Crematorium on, mon- on March the 13th at 11.45am. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, to Alzheimer's Society. All inquiries to George Crump and Son, 01905 Joyce, <coughs> excuse me, Joyce Cox passed away peacefully on February the 23rd, aged 92 years. The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, March the 8th. Family flowers only. Donations to Cancer Research UK, care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, 30 Bromyard Road, St John's, Worcester, WR2, 5BT. Robert Matthews, known as Bob, died on the February the 1st, aged 102. A funeral service will be held at St Bartholomew's Church, Arley King's, Starport on 7, on Monday, March the 11th, at 10.45. Rodney Arthur York, known as Rod, passed away peacefully on February the 9th, aged 64 years. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, March the 12th at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for Cancer Research UK may be placed in the collection box available at the service. Ian John Badger, known as Brock, died on February 26th after a long illness. The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, March 15th at 2.30. Family flowers only, donations for St Richard's Hospice may be sent to East Hill and Son Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR10 1HZ. John Baird died on February the 18th, aged 78. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Monday, March the 18th at 
Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for Midlands Air Ambulance may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Katrina Humphreys died on February the 25th, aged 79. The funeral service will take place at Wire Forest Crematorium on Thursday, March the 14th at 1.30. Family flowers only, please, but donations welcomed for St Richard's Hospice and may be left at the service or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services and their phone number is Worcester 748811. Brian Arthur Jones died on February the 20th. Funeral service to take place at St Peter's Church, Martley, on the 11th of March at 1.30. Family flowers only, but donations, if desired, will be gifted to Martley Church. All inquiries to Cooperative Funeral Care, Bridge Street, Starport, on 7. Peter Rex Langham died on February the 9th, aged 94. The funeral service will take place at Cheltenham Crematorium in the Willow Chapel on Tuesday, March the 19th at 1.30. Donations, if desired, to Alzheimer's Society, Care of Cooperative Funeral Care, Grosvenor House, Lansdowne Road, Cheltenham. Jeannie Loveday passed away on February 25th. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, March the 13th at 10.45. Donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice and Worcestershire Community Nurses may be left in the collection box available at the service or flowers may be sent to the co-op funeral care, 17 Lowesmore, Worcester. Dorothy Millington, known as Beryl, passed away on February 15th, 2019, aged 85. Funeral service to take place at St Kenelm's Church, Upton Snodsbury, on March 14th, and that will be at 2.30pm, followed by a committal in the churchyard. Family flowers only, please, with donations to St Kenelm's Church, St Care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, 30 Bromyard Road, Worcester. John William Rouse... Uh, died peacefully on February 26th, age 79. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday 12th of March at 11.30. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for the Alzheimer's Society may be left in the collection box available at the service. Inquiries to the Cooperative Funeral Care, telephone Worcester, 22137. Burgess, W. Arthur passed away peacefully on February the 21st, 2019. Funeral will be held at St John's Church, Worcester, at 11.15am on Friday, March the 15th. Family flowers only, donations to Pancreatic Cancer UK and RAFA, care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, 30 Bromyard Road, Worcester, WR2 5BT. Davis, Ronald passed away peacefully at home on February the 22nd, 2019, aged 82 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, March the 14th at 11.30am. Family files only, please. Donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be left in the collection box available at the service or sent directly to the charity. Inquiries to the in Cooperative Funeral Care Telephone 01905-221-37. Jones, James, known as Jim, passed away peacefully at home on February the 18th, 
2019, aged 82 years. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, March the 12th at 1pm. Family flowers only, please, with donations to Richard's Hospice, sent care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, 30 Bromyard Road, Worcester, WR25 BT. Telephone number 01905 Sutton Michael, much-loved son of Maureen and John, brother of Kevin and Denise.